tonight on the show, Manic Movie Monday celebrates one year on the air. And what better way to do that than with a reunion of the movie Out of the Dark? This is going to be awesome. This is Manic Movie Monday. For the touch of your lips, dear But much more for the touch of your whips, dear You can raise welts like nobody else As we dance to the masochism tango Tonight on the show, I am excited, humbled, honored, all of the things um, I get to have a reunion of a movie that I have been into since I was 15 years old. And it is one of those films that I have introduced all of my friends, all of my boyfriends, everyone I know to this movie as just an example of something that I absolutely just adore. You know, it just, it hits all of the things that I love. And I'm so happy tonight to be able to welcome all of these amazing people. I'm still just kind of like seriously starstruck. So Ah, uh, first and foremost, he's the man who made this whole reunion happen, and he's one half of the writing team of Out of the Dark. Please welcome Greg DeFelice. Hello, thanks for having us, Aaron. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> Happy to have you. All right. She's tough. She's gorgeous. And she'd like to ask you about her taxes. She played Christy. Please welcome Lynn Danielson. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thanks for including me. Awesome. Um, he's a writer, producer, photographer, and full-time cat daddy. The other half of this writing team, please welcome Zane Levitt. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having us, Aaron. <laughs> oh, my God. He creates the stuff nightmares are made of. If I had to list his FX resume, we'd be here all night. He is the FX genius who created the Bobo clown mask. Please welcome the incomparable Tony Gardner. Aaron, thanks for having me. So good to see you. All right. He's the writer and director of Liquid Dreams and the editing master behind Out of the Dark. Please welcome Mark Menos. So happy to be here. <laughs> He has directed two movies I love, uh, Cover Me and Out of the Dark. But besides that, being a writer, a director, a producer, loves to golf and is originally from P Payette, Idaho. Please welcome Michael Schroeder. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> and last but not least, in the world of Out of the Dark, he's a killer clown. But to the world, he is a super dreamy musician, genius actor known as Cameron Dye. Well, everybody's already said everything that I wanted to say, so we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> um, but thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. So first and foremost, how did the idea of Out of the Dark get started, um, writing-wise? Where did this come from? Well, I'll jump Greg? in. Greg or Zane? I moved to LA. I've been here a couple of years and barely. And in the you know, whatever. I, in the back of the LA Weekly, it was all 976 ads. It was like their major advertiser. Right? And 
There was now a, explain a, what uh, nine seven six explain what nine seven six yeah. is. Oh, nine seven six was the uh, the prefix for a toll number, right? So you would pay. You could pay for an astrologer that way. But more popular, it was about phone sex and and whatever sexually oriented fair. And I just thought it was kind of a dangerous milieu and. And there was another individual who actually went on to be the editor of Savoir Magazine and blah, 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 who I have a long relationship with that. We were kicking the idea around, but we never really came up with, it was just about murders that happened in the phone sex business. And then that didn't work out. My ex-wife got tired of making a dinner and weren't producing anything. So I said to Paul, I said, hey, Paul, uh, I didn't really know anybody. I said, I need somebody to help write this. And really to write it, I, I can't take the credit away from Greg. It's really Greg did the heavy lifting, right? In all honesty. So um, vis-a-vis a woman named Kim Friedman, who Greg was working for at the time, and um, introduced us. And then we went from there. So that's kind of, that was a genesis in a nutshell. Awesome. And then how did you guys come up with a killer clown as your serial killer? You answer that, Greg. <laughs> I have to say, I have to blow away the cobwebs of my mind after so many years. But, you know, I know I think a lot of these roads are going to lead back to Paul. You know, and I think a lot of the tone of the film, you know, he was a huge influence. And and, you know, I feel like had us lean into the humor, the quirkiness, the dark comedy. Um, and, and he really wanted unmasked Cameron. He wanted, <laughs> he wanted that character to be unmasked and revealed. Mm. That's interesting. His voice changes several times during this movie. Like he's got kind of like the the phone sex Bobo voice. He's got the sinister Bobo voice. He's got the I'm joking around, but I'm totally going to kill you Bobo voice. <laughs> how was it decided how like vile he was going to be <laughs> well there's a, a couple things here when it comes to texture and and whatnot uh we tried to when he was in the bobo mode we would add more contrast to the lenses uh, the music has a very interesting kind of demented circus kind of vibe to it yes. we would ramp that up when he was in the mask or when he came out of the mask especially at the end with lynn uh, to mm. you can hear at that da, 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 kind of that little uh, melodic circus kind of a vibe, and also it's just uh, his, uh, Cameron. He's a good actor. You know, he can he can uh, change his voice, change his uh, demeanor, and uh, and it really worked. Now, Cameron, were you in the mask performing as Bobo the whole time, like during the scenes where you know you're killing um, Karen Mayo Chandler or? Any of those types of scenes? I think so. I don't remember anybody. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, Michael, you can answer. He was he was in all those scenes. The only one he wasn't in is the ending where the the guy is blown out of the window. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was uh, that was actually a reshoot. After we tested it, they said, you know, we gotta gotta really kill this guy. And <laughs> uh, and, and and Cameron actually wasn't available, so it forced us to have the the kill. Uh, Cameron stand up and with the mask to hide uh, the guy, and uh, but it actually made it much more suspenseful, uh, you know, to because Lynn seemed she's calling the cops and she's, 
you know, she's really vulnerable. And now this mask stands up slow motion, which was actually slow mode by Mark. That was his idea because uh, we didn't shoot it slow. And uh, it um, it really worked. And of course, he couldn't have gone out the window. He wouldn't he wouldn't be able to walk today. But, uh, <laughs> but the, the stunt guy really did a good job on that. Steve Lambert. So <clears throat> he didn't. I think when you were driving the car, didn't we have a problem with you seeing driving? I think we had a stunt guy driving the car, the car so you yeah. wouldn't run into somebody with that mask on. That, that makes sense. I think I remember that. Yeah. That was a cool Riviera, though. Yeah, it was. <laughs> to your somebody, your wife, somebody. That was a cool car. I was wondering about that car. Yeah, we were we were trying there to was like a, figure the it out. That Mike just mentioned was up at Iverson Movie Ranch. Just a, a small aside because you're genre fans. Yes. And the night we were doing the, the that pickup shot, uh, I guess it was Squeaky Prom from the Manson clan had escaped. And Spawn Movie Ranch is right, literally right next door. And so I thought it was a, just this novel idea that we were up there and blah, blah, blah. And, and I lived on Waverly Drive, very close to where I live now at a while when I first met Lynn, which was the La Bianca <laughs> Street. But anyway, mm-hmm. horror stuff, horror stuff. But that's how I found the house I live in. So what can I say? <laughs> that's fantastic. Now, Lynn, how did you get involved in the project? Well, it's interesting. I think Zane called me. Honestly, I don't remember, but um, we became really good friends while working on uh, a comedy that he referred to called Mortuary Academy. And we had just done it earlier that year. Um, It was sort of a clone of Police Academy. It was directed by this very funny, young, talented director (laughs) named, uh, uh, oh, Michael Schroeder. And um, (laughs) it was co-written by Paul Bartel, and who also starred in this ensemble piece. So, you know, we had all this fun together and we became very friendly. And I think he just called and said, you want to do it? And I couldn't wait to, you know, for the opportunity to work together again. Yeah, we had a family unit going at the time, so we proceeded, it was good. I was, I was even a beach yuppie in uh, Mortuary Academy. You play a beach yuppie? I played a beach yuppie. <laughs> <laughs> now there's a lot of cameos in this too. I mean, I think, is Zane, are you a photographer in the movie? No, I think he's a he's a coroner. Oh, the coroner. Oh, that's right. And Greg's I'm, the photographer. The photographer. Greg's, Greg's the photographer. photographer. <laughs> that's so funny. That was a fun day. That lots that, of pensive looks at the camera from Greg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of I I, I was uh, a first assistant director to Paul Bartel on a couple of films. The, the one's called The Long Shot, and the other one's called Lust in the Dust. And that's where we had the tab connection, uh, tab Hunter, uh, Divine, Lenny Kazan, Jeffrey Lewis, that all those people on that movie. And they were all such uh, great actors. And that was one of the funnest movies I was ever on. And uh, Jeffrey and Karen were good friends. Yeah. Jeffrey yeah. and Karen Black were good friends because they belonged to the same. Uh, exactly. And, and, and uh, uh, so, so that tribe, if you will, just joined our, our, our little movie and really elevated it, I think. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, that's so funny because like we knew there was a lust in the dust connection. We just didn't know quite what it was because we saw we like cross reference the actors and we're like, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Like they have their own repertory group, you know, <laughs> like, sort of did. Yeah. 
That is super cool. Now, did you guys, writers wise, that would be for Zane and Greg, did you guys base Bobo off of anybody that you knew or any particular serial killer that was going around yeah. at the time? Uh, <clears throat> completely fabricated. Completely <laughs> fabricated. I gotta say, that is that's pretty genius because that is a very scary character. <laughs> like watching uh, especially those phone calls. Those phone calls are just chilling. Um, and uh, but just very well written and leave you on the edge of your seat, you know, especially Camille um, star Andrews, that whole scene is still still to this day gets me because it, you know, you introduce her as such an, a, such an endearing character and she's new to LA, you know, and she's just trying to make it as a voice actor. And, and then startup at the time. Exactly. Right. I mean, I'm, I talked to star a couple of weeks ago, actually. Very cool. Yeah. That's she's, she's really cool. It's such a dark subject, you know, killing women that we had to style it up and sort of humor it up to make it uh, just not straightforward. It, it to have it kind of a a curveball, if you will, that you would you would kind of like. I'm not, not sure my mom would watch it, but other people who aren't into the the genre might actually find it kind of interesting. And no, just my, mom, we, my mom didn't like it so much. I don't. Think. <laughs> as we as wrap up the violence and 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 the horror, we would always come down a little bit, give the audience a a chance to kind of, especially after Camille's death, which was that's probably the, one of the biggest scares in the film, and that and the baseball opening. Do you oh, think it's, it's yeah. perceived as misogynist in today's uh, political climate, Aaron? Uh, that's a tricky one. Um, yeah. I, I read a review for the, from the New York Times that said that very specific thing. It was called, like called me a misogynist. Misogynist. Yeah. I love Holden. <laughs> but I feel like it's a product of its time. And I feel like it's a product of the time of the movies that were coming out at the time. And I also feel that the female characters are not written as disposable. They're written as solid, um, very fleshed out characters. So when they die, you actually care about them, you know? So I don't, I don't see it as just sort of like a mindless slasher where you just, you know, girl number five takes her top off and dies. It's like, you care about these characters. Like, you know, that, you know, Barbara is Barbara's got her headshots and she needs it. She rides a moped. Like there's something pretty sweet about that, you know? And she fights back when Bobo attacks her, she tries to fight back and, you know, and she can't, she's in this like impossible situation where he's basically straddling her face and she can't get out of it. And it's just, it's unnerving, you know? And then Camille really wants to be well, the hero. Than any of this, I'm telling you. <laughs> in, I mean, yeah. And that, was that was important for us in pulling yeah. this together. That this was their workplace and their their friends and colleagues. You know, it, this is what they happen to do for a living. But it was important to establish them. And yeah, yeah. There was another interesting side note that Mike brought up the other day when we were all talking about when we shot in a million dollar building. And I'll let Mike finish it from there because Clint was there. And oh, okay, okay. Um, they were shooting bird. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. When we were we 
filming upstairs in the hallways. Uh, they're really filming. That's what Fincher used on Seven and a couple other movies. We had the same stairway that uh, the Brad Pitt was staying on in Seven. It's a very filmic hallway. All the offices, Morgan Freeman, then his office was right the same same room we used for the interrogation for the with the China hat being tossed back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, oh, the, 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 the Clint Eastwood reference is that. Uh, uh, one day, Tony Mayer, our location manager, came up to me and said, uh, uh, Warner Brothers uh, wants to use the theater downstairs. And I said, oh, great, great. And he goes, no, the bad news is they want all your parking. So <gasps> they moved our all our trucks, uh, all our uh, dressing rooms, honey wagon, everything, about four or five blocks away so they could bring Warner Brothers in. And I, and I was, and all they did was put... Um, uh, Forrest Whitaker on the stage. Uh, they could have, in, in my world, they could have brought him in and done that. They didn't have to move us, but they paid us a lot of money for that. And so that helped uh, buy us actually another day of shooting. And uh, which I really appreciate. And I was talking to Clint Eastwood out in front and, and he was kind of saying, Hey, thanks man for letting us come in here. And I go, and he had this amazing bus. And I, uh, I said, that's a, that's a hell of a bus. And he goes, yeah, you want to look at it? So I got on, I looked at it. It was really decked out. And I said, what'd that cost? At the time, I think he said, oh, that cost me, it cost about a million bucks. <laughs> I said, that's that's more than half the budget of my film, you know? And uh, he, he sort of laughed. He said, oh, really? I don't think he'd ever done a movie that cheap. But that's kind of the the story that we love the million dollar theater. I love when uh, when Bud was walking across the, the street and looks up to his office as Zane had put Mortuary Academy on the on the, the on marquee. The, on the marquee. That was that was pretty that was pretty sweet. And uh, I love filming down there. I mean, um, one one of the jobs I missed when I first moved to LA, I visited a the set of Blade Runner, and I'd been an assistant director in Utah for 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 a couple for a year or so, and I I thought I was I thought I was ready for Hollywood. So I go down there. A friend of mine is a second AD on it, and he offered me a job. He said, Hey, do you want to? I can use help down. We've got all these people, all this wardrobe. You'd be kind of like standing there watching a wardrobe pile all day, but you know, it's a job. And I, you know, ego, egotistic Michael Schroeder said, no, nah, I'm a first AD. I'm not going to watch a wardrobe pile. And I, I turned that job down and I really regret that. Uh, I had no idea who Ridley Scott was. I had no idea Harrison Ford. They're right there uh, talking. And I just didn't put it all together. Yeah, I wish I'd done that because you, you can only learn from a master like that. But, wow. but I love that. And the reason I tell you that is I love that whole, that uh, Broadway, Third Street, all that it area. It was much rougher then too, by the way. It, I mean, it's kind of cleaned up oh, now. But yeah. Back then it was really, really rough. We would have to, the alleyway, we had to spray with disinfectant. I mean, just to go, Ooh. it was filthy. Well, the Bradbury building was uh, inhabitable. You know, they when they went in there with Blade Runner and they didn't, really have to dress that down. It was already down. Since then, it's been really uh, renovated. It's beautiful. It was the million dollar theater. So, yeah. True, true. Now, Lynn, did you have any input into your character or did you do any like um, world building for her or anything like that? Because it kind of seemed like she had a cool back, like she would have had a cool backstory. Like she was like, there's a scene where she's actually reading out of Africa. You know, which is not, you know. Well, I, I one part, you know, I thought it was interesting for Christy to sort of, she was trying to find her way, right? Why else was she working there? Mm -hmm. So um, 
we knew she was an actress, hence the headshots, right? And and um, but really trying to find out, figure out a life path. Um, she uh, was, you know, at the time just very happy living with her handsome little boy, good-looking boyfriend, um, uh, and, and enjoying life. But you know, that's a storyline. Love is blind. <laughs> be a psycho killer but um uh, i i thought that uh, the characters all the female characters as you mentioned before which is so beautifully written by greg and with zane's input you know they all shared and we talked about this during the reading that they all shared this this sort of uh playfulness and um and we made them fun so that you could like them, right? They had to be likable or you wouldn't care about them. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, you know, I, I, all of that was very, you know, important for all the women to communicate. And I think we had sort of a great time sort of leaning into that as we were, as we were rehearsing and shooting. And we were very careful not to to homogenize all the women that they had their own thing their own look their own style own uh, accent and to let them uh, let them roll with it and bring ideas to us you know and and, and with lynn lynn is a really great actress and but she is has that every girl quality or that next door neighbor girl i don't know Everyone knows someone like Lynn in your life. You knew her in high school, you knew her in junior high, you know her now. And uh, and I realized that on Mortuary Academy because I we got we got really close on that. And uh, and when when she said she wanted to take on Christy, I thought, oh, here we go. This is like Miss America going to take us on a world tour. And she and she just she let it all hang out, and she was fearless. And and I love pros that do that uh yeah I, I really do it's it's a beautiful performance uh, i mean we were t- we were talking about this with my friends and uh, how there's so many great christy moments you know like she's she's playful and sexy and all that but she's also very funny um you have some really good comedic moments in there like my favorite moment is where you're making out with kevin and then you literally get distracted by your own f- picture like <laughs> I, I just love that she's because she's like hey that's my picture that turned that out happens. okay <laughs> is that a pimple that happens in la yeah <laughs> and then the best is that kevin's response is yeah and he just walks <laughs> and he walks yes exactly walks. deal with it <laughs> yep <laughs> hey i gotta tell you greg's got a twin brother and he worked on the film too by the way oh <gasps> what yeah. i just oh. remembered that out of the blue the other day craig I actually forgot about that. <laughs> Brother John worked on it. Okay, spill it, Greg. Brother John was uh, worked on the project. He had just moved. I think he had just moved to LA right about that time. Oh. Yep. It seems like such a magical time to have lived in Los Angeles. Like just that sort of that '80s period, basically. Like that just seems amazing, and I love the the overall look of this film. Is is so amazing you know like we've talked about like just the photography of it and michael did you have any like vision in mind for it um yeah of course uh we we julio macata was a is his first movie i'd met him on a couple of films that i ad that he was an operator on and he did some second unit for us on mortuary academy but 
he was a guy ready to explode and i knew he would just rock it on this and we 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 you know we we looked at some de palma stuff and, uh, and you know we didn't want to do all those long takes that he does and stuff but we do like we we, we want the lighting to be electric and to have neon quality not like vegas but that kind of you know motivated lights and colors yeah the phone look you know yeah uh, the that neon kind of, that it's neon vibe perfect. of Hollywood Boulevard and, and and all that. And I remember when we one of the first nights we shot was uh, the baseball bat scene at, uh, at MacArthur Park, and <laughs> and uh, um, when we we lit it, and uh, Karen came out, and Cameron was there doing his thing, and and I go, God, it's just so friggin' bright, and it looks like a football field. And so I told the Julio, and I said, Julio, I, it's too bright. He goes, Well, we're we're not gonna be able to expose. And I said, You know, I I I just I just can't handle it. Let, let, just leave the key. Just kill the fill. So they killed all the fill lights and boom, there was a look. And that made that marquee from across the lake really pop. Mm. I said, That's out of the dark right there. And so when when uh, Cameron kneels down and says, Play one more, just throw me one more. He's literally sitting in the reflection of of, 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 of sign signage, you know, a quarter mile away that's really hitting that lake so beautifully and if we would have had that all hit with light you would have never captured that so oh. that was that's what we decided on that film was kill the fill that is one of the darkest films i've ever directed and and i've done some dark ones because uh, we just wanted everyone not to be quite sure and when mm -hmm. and it's with cameron's character too we weren't sure is he the guy he played that so great oh. you know is he the guy is he the guy is he the guy no he's not the guy he is the guy you know he just kept going back and forth mm -hmm. and and that that's part of the look of the picture keeping everyone in in the dark and 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 just and having, having a lot of fun with those long lenses and uh and we did some uh who did an amazing job on that he he was in uh he went on to shoot the home alone and a bunch of other movies a big time guy and uh, he was uh, he's being uh, honored or someone was talking to him about his previous work. And he said, that film you shot was so beautiful. And he thought they were talking about Home Alone. He goes, oh, thanks. It was great working on Home Alone. He goes, no, no, this was something earlier with this clown. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he was reflected in the lake. And, she, and Hugo told me a story. So we were both pretty proud of that moment. Oh, that's so beautiful. All right, Cameron. You're on. How did you hear about this project and how did you get involved with this? Well, it was it was standard procedure. Uh, they were making this film. They needed somebody. It was going to go pretty quick. Um, I read it and, uh, you know, things that are being said. Same thing with me. I it, To me, it was like a black comedy um, slack, slack slasher movie. <laughs> yeah, right away. You know, I I think with the first page, you know, you have a you have a, a a phone sex girl turning some guy on while she's swatting a fly. I thought, cool. You know, <laughs> things like that grabbed me right away. And um, everything everybody's saying, I'll say right up front. You know, I haven't seen this film in so long, and hearing everybody talk about it is making me remember it. I swore I would see it before we talked about this but um you know I'll, I'll let the people who made it really comment on the shots and i but as you're you know as they're being described i'm like oh yeah that that mm -hmm. you know my my memories are more inside and what happened on that day and that stuff and but uh, Greg made a good point though cameron the other day that we saw some 
an actor who I later worked with came in, uh, Chris Penn, right, Michael? Yeah. Chris Penn, yeah. Before, before you, Chris Penn came in. Uh, who else we were talking about? Uh, David Cassidy. David right? Cassidy came in. And we chose you, you wow. know? So it wasn't like, it wasn't like people weren't showing up for it. It was- Right. Oh, yeah. Know, yeah. We liked okay. him because- he, David Cassidy. Thought wow. fucking, we thought he was sexy, you know? <laughs> and so I think we saw Cameron pretty late in the process. I think you were- Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, he was cast like two days before we started. I, I remember yeah. him coming to the set and we're actually doing a Sweet Nothing scene and he's not in it. Uh, Lynn and the girls are in it. And I met Cameron for the first time on the set. Uh, you know, I I saw his audition tape or because you know, one thing about Zane, he also cast the picture and he did a killer job there. Um, uh, we didn't have a casting director. It was Zane. And those those girls that he brought in had their own individuality and they they portrayed that. They had their own strength and all they do was project who they are and they did it really beautifully. But when I got with Cameron, I said, uh, we had to like ramp this up pretty quick because uh, he's, we. so we went back in the, uh, there on the set and just had a, a meeting kind of like, uh, we got to talk about this guy, you know, backstory and scene mm -hmm. study and where's the character arc and all that stuff. And he had it, he had it, he, he knew this guy. And, uh, and, and the whole idea about playing it, uh, like the killing of the flies and all that stuff. You want to keep the audience off balance, that they're not going to get too dragged down the rabbit hole of a slasher film. Mm -hmm. You know, we just keep, yeah. keep them off balance. That's why I ended up kind of doing the casting portion of it, but I enjoyed it because I'm, when we did Mortuary Academy, we had this office to digress, but Lynn was on board, so we can digress for a moment. Uh, <laughs> We had this office and it was like, it was a Culver Studios and literally the cold air would come in between the, the boards and the wall. It was an old silent movie stage, right? And the script had been given to our executive producer who hadn't even read it, but he told the writer he had. And the guy owned a thing called the Z Channel. And then the guy commits suicide after he filed suit against us. So we were sitting there sucking our thumb for months. And all I had was pictures of pictures of Lynn and I met star on that movie, but I didn't cast her. So, and I had these people that, so I had all these pictures. We had nothing but time to look at cast members. Right. So we sat there. Remember that was, we were halted for months. Aaron, let me ask you a question. Sure. The first time you saw it, who did you think Bobo was? Oh, initially because I had seen it in bits and pieces so I was gathering different things because I was, you know, 15. So I wasn't exactly was like r renting it at my local video store. I would like, I would catch it on cable, you know? And, um, and so I was totally like, but court, like it is totally <laughs> but court. Like I never thought that it was Dennis. I never thought it was Jeffrey Lewis. Cause I thought that was just like, no, that's way yeah, too yeah. obvious. Um, but Bud did such an amazing job playing this, like, kind of sort of likable but also equal parts slimy guy that you know I, I didn't know and, and and there's this moment where Christy gets caught in the office where he just turns yeah, and it's he... so fabulous because yeah. she's like you know she's like I just want to ask you a question about my taxes and he's just like I know what you people think of me I know what you women say behind my back and he's just 
he's like, don't. And she's like, can we go get a cup of coffee? And he's like, don't patronize me. Slam. Yeah. I love that. That was so much fun to do. Then we ended up running down the stairs and choking each other. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. Especially those stairs. Because you're like, oh, my God, how many flights of stairs is that? It was a lot. A lot, yeah. And I wrote that with Bud in mind. I I admired him so much at the time. Oh, that's so cool. It was the one role, I think, that I had an actor in mind. I think I went to Zane and said, can we get this to Bud? Um, (laughs) He he played the the kind of the goofy stringer as well, I think, when, Mm -hmm. uh, like, it's a scene when we first meet him with Karen, uh, yeah. and he gets he gets he he tries to say I got to get back to work. But he actually says I got to whack back back back. Yes, to work. whack he, was you know a kind of an interesting little subliminal thing there. And then he lets the elevator hit him in the side of the head. I mean that's a that's an actor, you know. And then was, like you, you were so right, Aaron. When he had to turn to that dark side, he did it with just as much. Um, it was fantastic. And then he like has this complete and total mental breakdown before your very eyes where he just talks about like, you know what? I wish I was the killer. You know, at least the killer can do something about it. And there are a lot of people initially. I know I was one of them who was like, man, Stringer's got a lot of porn in his office. You know, it, not until later did I realize I was like Kevin planted the pornography and the cat of nine tails and all of the other mm-hmm. I want want to say something for me, you know, and I don't want to claim any brilliance because my job was done. It was all what you just said, you know, and and I always say this for actors, too. It's like you don't have to play what's already on the script. There was so much there. And really, and I'd forgotten that it was two days before we started that I came in. I just jumped in as myself and Mm -hmm. and really. That's the job is to not be the you know, so um, until the mask gets on and then it's, you know, Ooh, it's buddy. Other... I has a line in Repo Man where he goes, sometimes it's good not to think too much. Yeah, that's what I did. I'm telling you, that's what I I'm did. You, I did not... Yeah, I, I, I never tattooed on my ass, actually, but. What did... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that's, that's a fantastic segue. Tony, poor Tony sitting in the corner. <laughs> um <laughs> What? How did you get involved in this project? Uh, let's see. I met Greg DeFelice in college, um, and uh, we were good friends. And I married his roommate, actually. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> um, but um, I think I met you through Cindy too, and then uh, mm-hmm. just hung around. And and he was aware that I was interested in sculpting and art and makeup effects at the time. And I was literally sort of just starting out. And he said that he had this script that needed a couple items in it that I might have fun doing. (laughs) Um, And uh, as soon as he said, killer clown, I was like, I'm in. (laughs) I don't need to read anything. Just tell me what you want. (laughs) Um, And then it was just fun from from that point, just figuring out, um, what he would look like and what would make him specifically different from other clowns that were out there. And Greg had really good feedback. I think Zane, you had some comments too in the beginning about, you know, a smile that's pleasant, but, you know, could also be seen as creepy. And um, it was fun trying to to balance all that stuff out. And then um, during the course of the film, 
we played with the idea that the clown gets progressively creepier and the paint job very subtly changes and the eyes go darker and um and dirtier and stuff like that and uh, uh it was just like a little interesting character study with a with a you know literally a mask instead of a face mm. so it was a lot of fun mm. that so opening scene in the park where we first see the mask um uh you know if that was extremely creepy or dangerous looking uh karen witter would have forgot her dog and just ran for her sure yeah. <laughs> so i think anybody that, would <laughs> it had, yeah. so it had to have some kind of uh non-threatening quality yeah. the way cameron <laughs> sort of played up the miming of the whole thing like he's a kid and playing little baseball and stuff that, that really helped but that's part of the progression of the character again make that mass darker and more evil as we go down the path yeah and then also too we didn't have um, we didn't have Cameron's head cast. We didn't know who was going to be wearing it. So it was like the person has to breathe. They have to be able to see. Uh, they're going to have to drive a car. Mm. How do we, they have to breathe. You know, how do we <laughs> fit all that into make it big enough, but still have somebody be able to smoke a cigarette or do mm. whatever they need to do. So, right, right. And not give away who was wearing it. So the, the yes. eyes became scrims like old theater style scrims instead of holes so that you didn't know if it was, you know, a guy or a girl even. And, and it's something, something I'm remembering now and wearing that mask. It's, it's the sound of the breathing inside of it that would actually kind of yeah. mess with me in a good way, you know, kind of propel me a little bit. Um, That's cool. Yeah. I, you, I, you meant that, well, didn't you? I, I meant to do that. Yeah. Part <laughs> yeah. of the plan. Do you remember the little box, Tony? Uh, the velvet box that you delivered? Oh, God. I, I recently, yes, I do. I, I found that a few years ago. And I actually, I have to say, I had to throw it in the trash. It, it <laughs> That'd was, be a good uh, idea. So, yeah, I, that's a question, though. So, how do you Tony, explain that one, right? Did you, did you create the, why am I gesturing to my own breasts i'm sorry did you create the 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 things that were found in the box yeah the what's in the box brass um, to do it no actually it's funny because i had done uh this movie return of the living dead and i had done this half corpse mm. uh, puppet oh. and uh uh i had done a i, I had done a um a dead body of a female prior to that as sort of like a Halloween decoration. And when they asked if I could provide that prop as well, I'm like, I think I already have a mold, you know, and that same prop got me the job on return of living dead. So don't, don't throw away your dead body molds is the. <laughs> I, threw, I threw this away. Cause I thought, what if I die and somebody goes through my stuff and they find this It's going to totally freak them out. So. Yeah. That was probably a good call. Yeah. It's it's a horrifying scene. I, I mean, uh, not not even just as a woman. I'm just saying, but like it is a. I to this day, as someone who watches horror films and someone who has a podcast that deals with horror films and B movies and cult films and stuff of this I nature, think that was entirely Greg's idea. Actually, that was <laughs> still is still one of the most shocking things I've ever seen. I remember those well. Yeah, the, the we, scene that almost got us. We had an intern on that pickup shot, Michael up at the Iverson Movie Ranch. And she was from Idaho, a girl that I think I gave a SAG card to. And I, I knew who she was from Idaho. And those, she rode up with me to the set and she, 
was ripping me about being like a bad person, right? <laughs> for making this movie. It was it was so like insulting to me. I was just like, Aww. oh my God. And I wanted to throw it to the wolves. The, 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 <laughs> the scene that sort of- uh, It was just made me feel- horrific to me uh, was the uh, hooker stew. Oh, hooker stew. Oh, well, yeah. hooker stew, because it's so quick, like it's, well, I it's, mean, that is a pause and you'll miss it. Kind of let pause or you'll well, miss it. Because of the motion picture, they <laughs> said uh, we had to cut that uh, to not get an X rating. I can't remember if that was in the original script, but I know that we sort of evolved in there. And I always wanted to have uh, somebody walking in with, you know, deep kind of bloody water in, a, in a, an existing room. And yeah. it really worked out. We had, we had the yellow shoes and the blood and the uh, whole. It's just the whole buildup to that. Water rushing out of the hotel room. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, it's yeah, fantastic. They had to well, build like a little swimming pool of sorts inside to dump all that water. And it came. Yeah, that was uh, that was some pretty good production design there. They uh, mm -hmm. they built a they put a, a little, you know, plastic down and then our own carpet mm -hmm. on top of that. And, and then. And, and Bob Schoenberg come up with that idea of building that out. Couldn't I think have... I went to John, uh, uh, the, the guy from Mortuary Academy, John uh, Rothschild. He, oh, helped, me on that he helped me on that bill because it was so technical because we didn't want to damage the motel. You know, that uh, that that motel is uh, still still there today. And I was just going to ask. I drive yeah, by it all the time. Yeah. <gasps> really? So that El Royale Motel is actually a place? Yeah. Oh this yeah, I go. Studio, Studio City. I remember when we were going to do the love scene. Um, we were. Um, uh, I I don't know if we were having trouble, but uh, we were just. I I didn't have it quite how to shoot it, and and I was really wanted to be respectful of Len and and, and Cameron, and um, and we'd already come up with the filtration to put patterns on their bodies, and we were doing everything to, you know, texturize so it wouldn't just be blatant. But we wanted a a, a love you did scene. A champagne, I remember that. What's that? <laughs> you did give us your champagne. I think it was tequila, thanks to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember we we went across the street from that hotel. There was a little restaurant. Julio and I didn't eat with the crew that day. We went over across the street and we just got some food. We go, how are we going to do this? Um, I said, well, let's just go handheld and uh, just mm -hmm. let them go. I'm not even going to tell them what to do. I just. And and Lynn came back and she was ready to rock and uh, and uh, Cameron was <laughs> always willing and so it, it worked out so great uh, the way we shot it I thought it uh, it gave us the cuts then Mark built this kind of sequence out of just pieces to make it look like is it violent is he is he, could he be a killer could he you know that, that's all sort of designed by accident we had a plan but the plan just was not working and uh and that's what came up with that's what we came up with oh wow that's fascinating because i love well i mean not to be the pervert in the room but um i really enjoy that scene because i like the the flirtatious banter that leads up to the scene um and i love the relationship between christy and kevin as much as unfortunately it turns out that kevin is in fact a sex killer um but initially the way that they banter back and forth and mm -hmm. the just 
thanks for the memories, you know, which yeah. is the thing my boyfriend has picked up now. Um, and uh, all of the, you know, just like the, 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 the back and forth. Says that in public? Oh, uh, not, not in public. No. <laughs> but... I, I want to say too, I mean, again, this is where my work was done for me as far as, you know, I, I never had to act the killer, but I remember that scene very well, Michael, and the way you guys shot it. And, and yeah, there was, there was a violent aspect to it. Um, and the other scene too, I, and I was, you know, I got these questions in advance and I'm, you know, I, I would love to say I got really accurate and deep. I did not, you know, I mean, really my thing was to not be the killer. Um, but I do remember there was a scene and Michael, you might've guided me a little bit when I was shooting Karen, uh, the, the headshots. And I think there's a close up of me and, and, um, but during that, there was a sequence where you were shooting her and she was, she was coming on to you and stuff and and you are uh, and you were enjoying that more than what kevin should have been enjoying and i, I saw you go there but then pull it back and then as you start to go do something about it tracy shows up and uh we're on to right. it. yeah i mean I, there might have just been a glimmer <laughs> you know there but but that's the only that i could think of you know any any giveaway and you know again my job is to not be the right the now, I mean, yeah, I mean, you do such a great job with just it, it. It's funny how your eyes and your the way that you look in that scene because you almost are like, "Wow, Kevin's not a good guy." <laughs> like, like if if Tracy Walter had not interrupted that scene, I'm yeah, sure man. it would have gotten much further. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, and I've I and I'm trying to remember if this was before or after I did the film, but I've I've watched guys sometimes like a strip club, and the way they look at women sometimes it's, you know, they're they're there to see like you know naked women, but there's a, it's it's a look of just like anger, you know. Sometimes I've I've observed it. So if that made it in there for a second, you know, good for me. I wasn't even thinking. I mean, you know, but um. And I, I, while we're on this too, and and you know what a good sport Lynn was, and and me too, really, for that. But all through it, Lynn, Lynn was just a great pillar of just goodness. Uh, I'll just say she was just a good. Um, I didn't get to tell you that at the time, so I'm telling you now. But oh. it, yeah, I mean, really, just this kind of like the the person who would bring you a, a basket of fruit or something. You know, she, she probably did figuratively you know so i'm just saying that um it was a joy yeah feelings mutual we really had some really wonderful conversations and got along so beautifully and and if it showed in in the way that we felt about each other and our characters we were you know it, 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 we definitely believed in those characters and what they were saying and we're we're in that but you know it, it helped that we enjoyed each other's company so much and just really trusted each other when we were on the set and, 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 and enjoyed being around each other and shared a lot of laughs, uh, you know, in the dressing rooms and, and in, in each other's trailers, just waiting, you know, for our scene. It, it definitely shows that chemistry definitely shows. There's, there's a lot of, um, you, you can guys can just tell that, you were friends off camera you know what i mean like sometimes you just have that chemistry or you don't you know in characters and it's just amazing which then makes the end so much more heartbreaking to yeah, watch a real, real carryover from mortuary academy we had a good time on that film we were already friends and then zane was our producer on that one and, and he put this one together just a few months later and uh 
I said, yeah, let's go again. And uh, I'd say it was memorable. I've, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of that picture. It was a hit in France. I, I, I'm not in my office now, but in my office, I have a huge uh, bus stop size French poster of uh, it's called uh, in uh, it's called uh, in uh, cry in the night. It's called in, in France. Oh. And, uh, beautiful poster. Uh, and um, uh, so now I'm proud of that movie. I'm proud of all my movies, but this was this was a good one. This was a this was a good one. Now, Mark, how how did you get involved with the project? And did you have any like did you did you have a connection to all these guys beforehand as well? I did. Um, I mean, really, when I think about and you know, I was thinking of listening to Michael and Zane and uh, Lynn talking about how you know they worked together before. And we were all really protégés of Paul Bartel. I mean, I had been an assistant editor on Paul's films. I had met Michael, who was then an assistant director, Paul's assistant director. I knew Zane uh, initially as Paul's assistant. So we all were sort of coming up together, really. Uh, it was very exciting. And I, I don't know how much people get to do that these days, of making films where with people that you knew and sort of coming up with people. Right. And, Zane definitely had this put us together um, in this sort of ensemble. So I was super excited to get to work with Michael on a second movie uh, with Zane. And I, it was your second producing uh, movie producing, right, Zane? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And a, a big shot for me to do it. It was a very early credit of mine as an editor. Um, I didn't know Julio, but since then we became friends through that movie and stayed stayed friends. Um, yeah, it was so, you know, and Paul was part of it. Uh, yeah. we were all Mark, men. Mark and I went to the same art school at one time, but separately. But didn't know each other there. <laughs> right. I knew Mark. Uh, I met him. Um, Alan was the editor, right, on uh, Less Than the Dust. And, right. And, and well, I met, the first time yeah. I met Mark was, uh, on a mixing stage for, for Lust and the Dust. And, um, uh, and uh, he's a real assertive guy. I kind of like that about him. And then we then we did Long Shot together, and I ended up directing. I ended up directing some of that movie, and, and especially all the reshoots. And I don't know if you were involved in the recutting or something, because I got closer to you there. And then uh, and then when we got the the opportunity, I said I, I, I want to give this to Manos. I think he's ready, <laughs> and he knocked it out of the park. He I did. Was, he was he, great. He was I want to take him on my next picture, but I was in Africa and I had to hire a, 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 an editor that they liked. And uh, and I regret that's that. OK. We were making his next movie, Michael. So it was all good. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he was, he was in Cannes. He, he was in Cannes directing a film. He didn't really care about it. <laughs> well, I would have loved to have gone and done your next movie, Michael. That would have been awesome. But yeah, it was great. We really did. It was a family feeling. Um, yeah. Sort of Paul, true. Paul was the, like the. He's the glue. He and, he, and he was, my, and, and that Paul was how I got introduced to Zane. As he said, I was working for this woman, Kim Friedman. She was directing Square Pegs and Dynasty. And I was her assistant. And what? she was good friends with Paul, I think, from back in their New York days. And. You know, she knew Zane was, I think, looking for a writer. So they sort of paired us up and it went from there. 
Hey, I, when I worked for Paul, I was doing everything from making him lunch to going to his agent, the dry cleaner. It was like, you know, and I, I guess I did it for like a year and a half, but I knew that was, you know, making $50 a day wasn't really the life for me. So, and so when I was working for him, I read a script, Mortuary Academy, and I thought, here's my way out. <laughs> <laughs> so there we went and then did that. And then Mark, I dug Mark, I thought it, and he, and, and he reminded me today, he said, said, you know, write a script, you like it, we'll get it made. And we did, you know. Yeah, you'll uh, totally, Zane, just, uh, that's how out of the uh, how to Liquid Dreams came about, was simply the words from Zane's mouth was, find a project, I'll back it for you to direct, and we'll, we'll do that. And that was all the impetus I need, was was Zane's confidence in me to do that, and uh, that that made that movie happen. So. Well, that's my saying, sometimes it's good not to think too much. Yeah. yeah that 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 yeah. movie is just so brilliant we watched that this weekend because i was mm-hmm. like oh we got to watch this before oh, liquid dreams, liquid yeah. dreams liquid yeah. Dreams. yeah because my boyfriend and i had watched out of the dark and i just pitched out of the dark to him i was like it's a guy in a clown mask and he stalks phone sex girls and it takes place in the 80s and he was just like, oh i'm so in you know he was like, so excited <laughs> what more do you want like a party he's like why aren't we watching that right now yeah so <laughs> So, so he really enjoyed that. And I said, well, same people are involved with liquid dreams and now we have it. So we should watch it. And we watched it and we were just like, just, you know, like, oh my God, like just the visual style of it. And $50,000 and we shot it in the, in an old film lab in Hollywood upstairs, 98% of it. That makes sense. And the two nights we went out, one night we went out, we're in the parking lot of where we parked cars and there's a fucking shooting on this street. The guy gets killed right next to us as we're, we, we leave our, our little castle and some guy, but we can talk about on the, that on the, out of the, the liquid dreams. Right. Out. On the liquid dreams podcast that will be upcoming. Right. So, so <laughs> anyway, there was, you know, it was an interesting thing. And, and uh, yeah, that was a funny night. So Mark and I have, and we've maintained a relationship through the years. And yeah, yeah. Friendship. It's weird because you separate and you, people go, they live in different places. You, you work on projects, different things. You're, it's, you know, driving across town. I know Michael drives a lot, but it's, it's it, you, if you live in Venice and you live in Los Feliz, you may as well live in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know? I wanted to go back to Paul for a second because he was a magnet for me. You asked about how I came into it. I, I heard he was involved and I heard Bud was involved in Karen Black and and yeah, so those people. But Paul, I, I just want to bring up, I think it's the one time that I, I broke uh, was when he was wearing that wig. <laughs> oh, funny, right? And, and that, I, was, that was all yeah. him. We didn't even talk about that character. I, I think you're going to play He said, I want to play the motel guy. I go, oh, great. Love it. I see movies nowadays and I think Paul Bartel should be doing that part. Yeah. Yes. All oh. the time. I think yeah, I'm a big fan. Paul over it. And I think of the movies that he's messed that he would love now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Him, him yeah. and Divine were two people that I never got to meet. I met John Waters and I went to high school with Mary Warrenov's niece. I can't remember Karen how Karen got in because I think I met her at a I met her somewhere and um is that a gathering or at the DGA or something and uh, we just really hit it off and then somehow she got looped back in to play uh play Ruth and she was great her improv again are out of this 
Well, I'm glad you brought Karen in because that's how I met my wife. So yeah. one of my favorite then, memories, memories of Karen was that she liked singing. Her and I would sing together sometimes. Yeah. Oh, Rowena, they did a the thing and they did like a commercial for Thrifty. And our friend Frank Infante from Blonde did the news, some of the music. And, mm -hmm. and so she and Ro were doing stuff too. That's interesting. And they did, and, a, and I stayed pretty close with they thrifty. They did a thrifty commercial doing this, and they were like, Yeah, yeah, that's funny. And she did, just, did a yeah. thing with Bruce Willis. Oh, I'm just talking on the set. We didn't we didn't release it or record it or anything. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> doing Beatles songs or something, but her 13 year old son was on the set a lot too. Do you remember that? We did yeah. uh, Paris, Texas, right? Hunter, right? Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's Hunter. Yes. Yeah. No, you mentioned Cover Me, uh, Aaron. You mentioned Cover Me. Oh, I, yeah. I Big fan. Paul Sor Sorvino and that. And talk about singing. That guy would just, wow. it, while they're lighting, he never went to his trailer. He just sat there and sang opera. Mm. And guys were setting up C stands oh. to it and stuff. It was fantastic. He, I cool. think he could have been a pro singer. He was oh. that good. Love that. I, lo I love that movie. It's super been, hard to find, but I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah, it is hard to find. Like Spe a lot of yeah. Speaking, <laughs> that's a great question though. Speaking, this is like a big fan question that I get all the time for this for this particular movie. I'm trying not to curse. Why the heck is there no special edition Blu-ray? You know, jam packed with extras and a director commentary for this film because it's so popular like it has a when you want to say called a cult following but it's such a good movie well the the trend in the business is whatever is happening at that moment is what is what ignites the sale and drives mm. the sale and this was a vhs drive you know uh it it, it opened theatrically in la and, and a couple other places in the united states but it was really a, a vhs that's what senatel's business columbia tristar that videotape and 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 they just didn't do that in those days, you know. I, I was blown away. Uh, uh, like ten years ago, um, I get a call from Sony. They had picked up the the Blu-ray rights to to Out of the Dark, and so they said, "Hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna color time it and transfer it over. Do you want to be on that?" I go, "Absolutely." So I went there. And actually, that's why if you watch the Blu-ray, it's one eight five. Because you watch all the other stuff, it's all square. Mm -hmm. yeah. We sat there and we actually did a couple color corrections I did on some night stuff. and uh, But that's, you know, we barely had enough money to make the movie. I don't even know if we had an EPK on that one. Uh, I I don't. I, I don't remember. So it was just, it, it wasn't. We did. We did. And his name is uh, Dan Harari, was the publicist. Do you remember him? Oh, I do remember that name. Yeah. It was so, Dan Harari. Yeah, yeah, he's worked. He's worked around on unit publicist work a, a, a bunch. I he actually recently published a book. I, I I know him, so yeah. I mean, it could be cobbled together, but I, you know, it's it's you know, I did, I did another picture, directed a picture called uh, Cyborg Two: The Glass Shadow, Angelina Jolie's first movie. Uh huh. That just got picked up by Lionsgate be, because of Angie, right? And, and they 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 read structured the whole blu-ray they they that again another movie that was shot anamorphic was going to go theatrical but it made such a huge uh video sale or foreign sale that they didn't even waste the time to do that 
So forever, the only time you could watch Cyborg 2 was on a VHS square. But mm -hmm. Lionsgate came and made a beautiful Blu-ray of it and totally cut a new trailer. And uh, and they, they didn't put any deleted scenes or anything like that. Because, again, th that just wasn't part of the game back in those days. Do we have any deleted scenes? Yeah. Uh, Does anybody have deleted scenes? <laughs> or behind the scenes? Well, Dan Rai would have stills. Yeah. Uh, imagine. I mean, he's a Facebook friend too. I could ask him for future reference, but he's a. I have a few stills. Uh, I I used to before the digital era. I used to keep these big scrapbooks of all the movies I did with all pictures. I have great ones from Mortuary Academy and Out of the Dark and stuff. But I don't. I and like Lynn said, we get the ads, the tear sheets from the L.A. Times when it was opened out here and all that. Cause those are important moments for us, but I probably uh, have a lot of that stuff too. Yeah, I just I I don't have any video. It would be interesting. Yeah, it's just that like okay, Kino Lorber, um, Vinegar Syndrome. These are companies that pride themselves on re-releasing movies and putting as much as they possibly can. I mean, I got a Blu-ray for Reform School Girls. And that thing is chock full of interviews, behind the scenes, stills, soundtrack, you name it, you know. And I feel like this movie deserves to have that same love. And when I turn on my, you know, DVD finder and they're they're basically releasing a Blu-ray of Rent-A-Cop with Liza Minnelli and, you know, Burt Reynolds. And I'm like, and we can't get a release for Out of the Dark? Really? Richard Shankman does these kind of things. He just did one on a film during the pandemic, not just, but for a film I did called Gun Crazy. And mm. he, we were all freaked out and we shot it on the, but he does a lot of this stuff. And I hadn't, you know, I don't want to really watch myself. I got the release and I haven't really bought it. But the director, I should watch her. I don't want to see myself per se, but, <laughs> you know, so he does exactly this kind of thing and assembles the materials for this kind of thing if it was ever to, your reality but who wants somebody's got to spend the money to do it you know yeah, i know i know it's all money i know it works for like that uh like Laura. Yeah, it, it was the 80s i think the the, the 88s when we made this 80 88s when we made this film yeah 87 actually mm. yeah because uh yeah so um back in the day you just didn't do that you know it's yeah where i saw um raiders Lost Ark, they did that's the first behind the scenes I'd ever seen. Um, mm. And they made a real production of it. And it was really cool. And, and then I was sort of torn. Go, I hate showing how we do these things. Ah. But at the same time, it's kind of fun to watch. Uh, did anything end up on the cutting room floor? And, uh, and by that, I mean, any, it doesn't matter if it was gore or nudity or just dialogue that you just threw out because you didn't have time but was there anything that actually ended up getting cut mark do you remember anything i don't really i mean i think we really you know michael shot a very designed film and it was uh you know the good stuff is all in there there i don't think there's anything that we threw away that was good they were just the cuts from the 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 bathtub scene we cut that and uh um i don't think anything else like uh, i learned early on as i would uh, to shoot it a certain way that way um new line or cinetel couldn't come in and recut it because they wouldn't have the choices you know this was good oh. i'm a i'm a sort of a director with a point of view and i and i 
uh, believe in what we're doing, and it, it seemed to cut together. Uh, I mean, a very uh, detailed shot list. If you uh, like the transitions, like going looking down the stairway that dissolves into the tunnel, all those match mm -hmm. transitions were they were thought out way in advance. Like when Greg is holding the flash camera and the flash. Yeah. We cut right to a, an old rotary phone. One of their flash the lights on the phone would pop. They're all. We literally would put the previous shot on the on the on the monitor and trace it with a grease pencil. Then go live on our camera and put the next shot right in that place. So it had that sort of seamless uh, feel to it. And that was all done up front because we really wanted to make this. Uh, a memorable film, but also very stylized. You know, Julio's first job is my second job. We want to get another one. You know, you want to make a good movie. And mm. so that's why, and this was an opportunity and we didn't hold back. It's Did you guys storyboard those put, transitions? Putting the on the viewfinder. I mean, that is the cutting edge technology of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the view, it was, it's the actual, um, um, the video tap that we're watching, we would right. put back the previous scene. Right. And I would freeze that frame and then grease mark on that monitor and then go live camera on the same monitor. We could then adjust and make it perfect instead of do it with CG, which we didn't have. And yeah, no, it's, it's flawless. And it, it, it stands out too. I mean, I rewatched the movie today and uh, besides going, Hey, there's Greg. <laughs> um, it was like that transition was a real obvious one and there's there's quite a few in there and i just wondered if you guys storyboarded that ahead of time or no, i'm i'm not a real believer in storyboards unless i hand it off to another unit that i'm not going to be there or if it's, if it's composite work with uh, visual effects and there's a bunch of departments working on it i'm a real believer in lists so we make really detailed lists on what we're going to do Got and it. um and um because you have to we we try to it's not about trying to find the vision we've already decided what it is it's just executing it and we're, we're out there trying to uh shove like i think that was a 25 day shoot or something like that we shoved like a 35 day shoot in there by being very organized and not messing around mm -hmm. and, and and we're good and, and you got good actors you get them in one or two takes i'm not a guy that shoots dozens of takes either <laughs> if i haven't I, I i move on and and I had it with a good camera work and, and, yeah. uh, you know, good, you know, and, and, and then when, when Mark came in, uh, he had a lot, I, I believe that shooting is like buying groceries and editing is making the meal. Well, that's mm. sort of, that's sort of, I gave him a lot of groceries and he whipped up a good meal. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Cool. Oh my God. Lynn, I wanted to ask you because that role is very physically and emotionally demanding um, the role of Christy. Was there anything that you did to really sort of like delve into that? Because it's a fearless uh, portrayal. I mean, from from, you know, being super vulnerable with Kevin at the end where you're just like, you know, I love you and it's OK. We can deal with this serial killer fetish together. And, you know, as opposed to then when you're dealing with like Bud Court and you're just like, I want you to drop dead, you son of a bitch. And then you start bawling your eyes out in the middle of the street. I mean, it's just you run the gamut of emotions in this film. So, like, how did you get into that? 
Well, there was a lot of uh, preparation for the character, but also when I started that film, before I started, I was 15 pounds heavier. I had moved from New York. Zane cast me in Mortuary Academy. And, and Michael, I, mean, I remember going to the studio and they told me that I, I had that role. And I started crying and asked if I could call my mother. And Aww. then we were right on this next movie. And I, um, you know, needed to lose weight to make this character right. So having lived in New York, you walk everywhere and you just naturally, you're, you're, most people stay pretty thin, especially if you're a starving student. And which I was. And um, so I, I felt like she needed to be in really good shape. And I joined a gym and hired a trainer. I ran miles every day. And I remember having a Sony Walkman that I used to put on inspirational movie, music like uh, the Rocky theme song or Flashdance. And I would take off in the morning just you know, running to the gym, just constantly training and and not only in my head, but just physically training night and day so that I could um, uh, look right for this role. Oh, my God. So. Just just when I think I couldn't love you more. <laughs> I, I mean, just that just the fact that you put that physical preparation into it and you were first of all you're playing rocky and flash dance i love flash dance so much so yeah that's just freaking awesome that thank you for sharing that that's so cool um uh okay i have one fan question from the weirdos in our group um did kevin kill the prostitute in the motel because he was compelled to do it or because he was trying to throw myers off the scent Neither one. He didn't kill the prostitute. <laughs> <gasps> no. That was a red herring. What? Oh, bro. 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 Oh, that's Paul Bartel is... killed him. Killed him. Paul Bartel <laughs> killed him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a different MO. The body was chopped up or he didn't do any of that before. I just thought it was, it was bad timing. <laughs> no, I thought it was like I dude I had a whole backstory like I had a whole thing where it was like Kevin like that there was this like you know compulsion because he just had sex with Christy and he's like man I gotta go kill someone now and oh I might get caught Ooh, exciting and the, I thought that was the whole oh oh my oh my heart my poor heart <laughs> Well, the interrogation scene afterwards uh, kind of clarified that, you know, she was his alibi. He was totally with her the whole time. So, um, oh, oh, see, I, I just know, thought somebody he else had to do it. Um, I mean, I thought he banged her brains out. She passed out and he was like, all right, I got to I got some time to kill. I'm going to kill somebody. OK, yeah. Wow. OK, so there was a prostitute killer going around that Lang Langella was you know, tracking and yeah. prostitute stew was the other killer. Oh man, that's going to, uh... Red Herring was Paul's idea. Really. I, he really was into, it doesn't need to have any story or connection, but, and it really worked out to a great opportunity to have all those cool cameos. So it, 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 yeah. it was yeah. completely random. Yeah. But I brought both teams together, Vangelo yeah. and, and Myers yeah. and, and and it puts, you know, puts uh, our our 
our leads in a, a precarious position they got to get out of it. i i love them jumping out of the window and stuff in the back that these guys are pretty athletic because uh, we didn't have any sense do any of that stuff and uh, and lynn's all... wearing like lynn's wearing those like high heels and those little tiny tiny socks and she and she just like oh yeah those jeans on real quick. <laughs> with the cuffs in them remember those yeah yes that's right oh my god Wow, I, I don't even know what to do with this information. I just <laughs> Jesus. All right. Uh, my whole my you don't understand. I my All whole theory are... is blown. So tell us what you thought. <laughs> oh, I thought that Kevin was all the killers. That basically he was just this person who hated sex workers in general and was was going around killing you know all forms of sex workers whether they be psychological sex workers or physical sex workers and that he was just doing all this because he could you know because he had a you know had a beef against women or was just totally like off his rocker um i mean we get that little bit of backstory at the end where kevin's like you know i used to be a professional clown you know in the circus and then people started getting killed so i kind of figured he just had this like history besides the fact that he had an underage girlfriend he beat up which definitely goes over everyone's head when they watch it because <laughs> no one's like is anybody gonna talk about the fact that she was underage like at all <laughs> nope <laughs> um but the thing is, like, I thought he was just a uh, sexual compulsion killer and that oh, yeah. he had to do it. And so he was just and just like, say, a Ted Bundy or a Gary Ridgway or one of those, he was graduating. He was going into like, OK, now I'm killing people that I know personally. Murphy. OK, now I'm killing people that I know personally. OK, now I'm going to have sex with my girlfriend and kill someone right outside. It's important, though, that the audience su might suspect Kevin that did it. But uh, I don't. Yeah, I wasn't part of the story. Yeah. He it. Because, OK, so here's one of the reasons we thought Kevin did it was because in the scene where the um the the prostitute whose name is lee comes out and she's like talking to him he throws something at her before he breaks the he breaks the bottle off and like he whatever he did he's gonna do but he throws something at her right, okay see i thought at first <laughs> i thought it was a balloon in keeping with the whole circus weirdo, you know, because even when he kills Camille, he's playing with that little doll, which is really creepy, by the way. And I mean, he has all of these weird sort of circus themes. So I thought he threw a balloon at her. And of course, my boyfriend, who's disgusting, he's like, oh, no, that's a condom. Well, sort of a balloon. <laughs> I was like, oh, I thought it was, you know, in keeping with the tradition of the circus. Wow. All right. Yeah. Last five minutes or so. I've been trying to remember if I knew that he didn't do this. Cam, uh, did you think he did it? I I think I might have. Yeah. I think I <laughs> but explanations like Aaron said, he's a compulsive guy. And the reason that uh you know Lynn gives him the alibi is she's just like she's in love with him. Mm. Yeah. And she probably wasn't. Cam, what did you think? I forgot. 
<laughs> I mean, again, you know, I'm I, as I listen to this, it's like it was done for me. You know, I, my <laughs> my job just. You really realize, Aaron, we didn't have cell phones when we made this movie, and and there were all computers were a rarity. Ah, uh, that's how fucking long ago we made this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm serious. In Mortuary Academy, there was no computer. There was a bizarre spreadsheet at some archaic level, and it's like, and then this one, we were literally penciling out on fucking paper. That's amazing. It's arc it was archaic how and in some ways you know it was it's kind of pleasant i mean not budgeting and that kind of stuff but <laughs> but to not be bothered all the time with the phone is, is it, it, granted it's access but it took away a lot of our lives didn't it in the process and they and, were, and were really able to bug you on movie sets after that point we also cut it on film which i only did one other film uh my next film i cut on film but after that everything was digi after that Mm. I made I made thirteen movies on film, and I got some sitting right by my desk right now. Amazing. Well, you guys are amazing, and thank you so much for for making a fifteen year old girl's dream come true. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, thanks for thanks for coming on the show, and uh, I I love this movie. It's brilliant. I do hope that it it gets some sort of a release someday because I think that the DVD copy that we all have is the one that Sony put out. That's like a DVD R. It's a you yeah. know, and and it has no. It doesn't even have a trailer on it. It literally like you put the DVD in and it starts playing the movie. <laughs> there's no, there's no menu on it at all. Oh. Yeah. I want to say hey, something I too. I, I I really want to thank you for bringing this together, and I I'll tell you guys too. I I'm excited about seeing this again. You know, from the last meeting we had to this, and it and remind me, is it on Amazon right now? It is. Yeah. Okay, and good. Yeah. I, where beautiful. I am in Atlanta now, no channel. I've, I've been using the libraries of my video store. Is that a, a flat version or one eight five on Amazon? Anybody remember? Um. Maybe the 185. I don't I remember. Think though. I think it was. I think it was. It was. It's the Sony version. It's really, really beautiful, you guys. It looks so good. Oh, the it's so much more gorgeous. Lighting than and everything in the, the, my the DVD. clarity is so good. If you want to watch it again, don't pull out an old VHS, please. Right. I watched it. I, I actually I actually watched it because I own it, but like I watched it on Amazon where it's all pretty, and I watched it with the subtitles too oh. which i love to do because i love to study um dialogue i just fascinated by that and so to see if there's anything i missed or whatever and uh it's just so much fun to watch it like that so yeah it's yeah the amazon is the that's the that's the ticket and when, when i went back and rewatched it i want to give one more shout out jeffrey lewis was so good in that yeah. movie I thought, <sighs> and he, he had a, there was another i mean he was good throughout but one great moment where he's got the bottle and he turns and you think he's <laughs> And he doesn't say anything as if he's going to say something else. And then he turns around and just walks out and just. Yeah, he was great on Less Than the Dust. He, he had a, a lot bigger role in that movie. And he was such a pro. And I loved him and everything. Great Waldo Pepper, all the movies he's done. He's just so great. Was Kevin's loft and whatever loft that Dennis was living in, are they the same location? The same building, different uh, different windows. Oh. So, okay. Um, yeah. I think we went 
that, that loft actually kevin's actually had a basketball hoop in it and stuff uh oh, i love that loft so much a couple couple doors down there was another room that we shot at night had had i think brick walls if i remember and it was darker and we wanted it darker for him uh kevin's room was very light and photo you know like a photo photographer's place you know it's great. And I love all the, the stuff that's on the walls like this, the different posters, especially very specifically, there's one of like a topless woman holding a neon bar. And I've seen that before. I just don't know where I've seen that before. That, but there's That artist is named Sam Maxwell. Uh, Thank you. I, I met him. Uh, he used to work at Playboy. And oh. uh, um, wonderful. I went with a date to a photo shoot that and and then when I get there, she's the photo shoot. I didn't know anything. Oh. And uh, this, uh, it wasn't even a date. It was just a, a meeting. Um, and so Sam shoot, is shooting her. And I notice in his studio, he's got all this amazing, it's erotic, but it's kind of tasteful stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So literally a month later, Zane calls and says, we're going to do 976 kill. And I... And, I, and he said, we need some erotica. And I go, I know the guy. And <laughs> he uh, he gave us uh, all those. And then I, the one that uh, they shot a girl under glass and high heels holding her skirt out, the one that we dolly off of. Yes. I had that for a while. I think my my wife threw that out. Though. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the rest were just uh, stuff that we bought from him, but we actually printed that one up and put it in Kevin's loft and dollied off of it. But Sam Maxwell, he's got a credit in the film. If I, if I didn't say that, right. That is so cool. Yeah. We were, we were remarking on that. I was like, wow, it's like super eighties. I love it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like, yeah so for sure. Fun. Um, To wrap up, are there any uh, stories from the set? that you guys want to share or any fun memories, if you can remember <laughs> from the movie. I, you know, you were talking about that scene, Michael, with Bud in the elevator. That was one of my favorite moments. And I remember something Bud came up with. It was just the positioning of where, how we were in the elevator, but he chose this position where he was like blocking me from, I, I can't duplicate it. It's a great scene. And I, I one that stands out for me, um, but I was, I, you know, as I'm remembering the movie, I just, yeah, some great performances and great, I'm just going back to the beginning too and what I read on paper, it was, it was smart. It was a really smart movie, I thought. Um, I think I remember one time I thought Cam was done for the day and I said, hey, let's go to my place for lunch. And he wasn't done. And everybody's like, where the hell is Cameron? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. He's in my house having lunch. You were buying. I, <laughs> I remember being um doing some intense scene and suddenly my body was itching all over. And um I went in the dressing room to change to go home and I looked in the mirror and I had a pink rash everywhere. And I thought, now is the time I'm gonna get chicken pox. Are you kidding? My entire childhood, my mother put me in bed with every kid who had the virus. And sure enough. But... Yeah, I didn't know that. You got chicken pox on the set of Out of the Dark? Mm -hmm. was for two weeks after that. Oh my God. Was it was it towards the end of filming so at least you could rest or was it during the middle? I I remember sort of shutting down for a couple of weeks. I'm sure you shot a bunch of, a, yeah, a bunch of around me. 
but uh, when you get it in your 20s, mm. they, they, you know, you have to stay in bed because it gets dangerous. So. Yeah. Oh my God. I think we rescheduled Lynn and then we had a, uh, we did get an insurance day or something out of it. I, as I recall, I mean, it's all, you know, foggy, but yeah, it was, it was scary because you could have really, it's a problem, you know, when you have so little money. We, we had a co-producer type guy, associate producer named Chip Miller on Mortuary Academy. He came to he came to visit the set on Out of the Dark the night the, of Joanne's kill in the park overlooking the city. And he, he goes, I roll up there and all I see is Schroeder with his long hair and these lightning going, oh, because I was telling the striker when to hit as because we were trying to coordinate some stuff. Well, well, uh. Well, Cameron was killing Joanne, and uh, and he says it looked you look like Doctor Frankenstein up there, just uh, crazy man in the middle of this park in L.A. just doing this music <laughs> stuff, crazy yeah. stuff. I don't know. It's just yeah, I, I have uh, so many. Uh, it's just <laughs> such a good experience, you know, because you know sometimes these movies aren't that good uh, of experience, and uh, I don't have any. There's no bad day on on this movie ever. All right, uh, Tony. So, Tony, did you? So, did you make the, the hooker stew? Is that was that something? No, that... I did not. Um, I did not have the recipe. Um, <laughs> nor was I hired to be the chef? I did, I was actually going to ask. Who, I don't. We had uh, who did that? From props or something. We had some body parts from something. It could have been from Mortuary Academy. We had a few of those. Oh. Um, and and again, it wasn't about the individual parts, it was more the concept of it all. It's a concept yeah. of the blood and the that part of a hand, part of a, you know, I don't It's very effective. I mean, the buildup to it is great. The walking to the door and taking the step onto the, the slosh, having all the liquids moving. I mean, the build is fantastic. And the fact that you only see it for a second, mm. I think makes it even more effective. You know, yeah. the, the the threshold shot we shot that. It's I think I brought a special camera. Oh, my dog is unplugging my computer. Um, the <laughs> we to get that the slow slow velvety of the water coming over the threshold. I'd really I think I had to bring a Panastar or something in a really high high speed ca uh, camera to get that. I couldn't do it at sixty frames, one hundred twenty frames, mm. uh, and uh, and and we literally had a a guy uh, holding a, a a barrier that was just tipping it. So it would go over the threshold and the camera was right below it. It, 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 it was a, it's a nice shot. Yeah. It's, it's great. And then like Paul has such a great line there. It makes me laugh. We, we, my boyfriend and I quote this movie all the time, but one of the things that he says is he goes, these girls are so damned irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Paul. I love Paul when he's letting in, letting them into the uh, Kevin and Christie's room, and uh, he's trying to say, you know, this isn't my real hair. Right? This isn't my real hair. <laughs> trying yeah. to be real conversational about this. <laughs> like, there's a there's a scene too where he's he's walking past the room, and, and you know, you you dubbed oh, yeah, in the sound of a couple like you know going at it, <laughs> but just just like stopping there and just. Looks in the window. Oh. A very enjoyable pervert. Yes. And then what's great is that when they interview him, like when the cops are talking to him, he's like, 
He's like, there's no garbage here. We only yeah. get we only get businessmen and families on their way. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tracy used got his favorite word. He wanted to say malarkey. Malarkey. I love it. Oh yeah, it was Tracy goes, I don't know. I think we had I think we had to say uh, stop with the bullshit and 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 Tracy didn't want to say that he wow. wanted to say malarkey and I thought it was a great great call great cut the malarkey I love I he's he's fantastic in this because you don't ever really get to see him in these types of roles normally I see him as like a drunk cowboy or a drunk homeless man or you both, know both Michael and I have made numerous films with Tracy through the years and amazing I've with Tracy in eight or nine film movies and. We tried to get him on the th on this call. One of my favorite shots too, Michael, is when you when you swung that the scene with uh, Tracy and Savannah, and you and you swung. You mentioned it before that that oh. Chinese lamp that that interrogation scene. Yeah, yeah, that scene we had three or four shots lined up for it, but the master worked so well. So I uh, I called my producer in uh, Zane Levitt. And I said, uh, look through this camera and watch this rehearsal. And I said, I I don't I want to just stay here and he goes do it he's a brave producer because some some are always such cowards oh cover it we won't use it but again well thank you that was film we didn't have to shoot because that worked so well in that room with that lamp that oh. tiny lamp and uh my i really love the shot the secondary shot where we come in afterwards where she hands uh something to kevin and he's kind of either passed out or asleep and he looks up. I feel such empathy for him. And he goes, you you believe me, don't you? Oh, God. And Julio hit that pan just right to come back, just to land on Silvana on the right time where she had a beat to say, I don't know. And I don't know. that's just really good. I remember Julio looking at me going, yeah, we got that. Yeah. He and I were really in sync on that picture. Where was the desert scene shot? I completely forgot to ask. It's in Northridge or Chatsworth. It's a uh, two hundred condos there now. It's it's. Oh. Really? oh boy, it was kind of a groovy place. I'll tell you, it was really nice and isolated, and it was a. It was right before Christmas we did this pickup shot. I think wasn't it? I mean, yeah. And the view of the valley is a very yeah. clear night that night. And when he goes out the window, you can see all the way to Woodland Hills. That's so cool. There's a moment when Christy comes when Christy comes into the into the house and she has the mask on where, you know, 15 year old me was like, oh, my God, Christy did it the whole time. <laughs> I wrecked my brand new Land Cruiser that night. I was backing out of a liquor store, picking something up on the way, probably rolling papers or something. And these two guys sitting on this like concrete wall go nice truck. And I'm like thinking yeah it's a nice truck and i turn and i scrape the side of my brand new truck like a week old on the side of this concrete i was like oh god it was immediately in this body shop that night of the pickup i still remember that the, the, the <laughs> night that she walked in with the mask i uh we didn't know really how to reveal that and i think we decided to just do it in a cut and uh and instead of and uh, again, I think that was another Mark Mano's slow down kind of beat that he created. And then she takes it off. And uh, um, I didn't want to show her putting it on and all that stuff. We, she found something in the car. We don't know what it was. And then right. next scene. Um, but uh, yeah, that worked good. You can see sometimes that we, uh, these weren't 
shot in camera slowdowns. They were post slowdowns where you step print them and you, there's a little grain added to it and stuff. It makes it a little creepier, a little, little scarier, darker. Oh yeah. It's, that's, that's my favorite. Uh, the whole, the whole scene where she's, you know, coddling him and then he just, and he's, and then he's like, he's like quietly undoing his belt and yeah. then he just turns. It's yeah. just phenomenal. It's just like, whoa, bro. I mean, because it's the first time you see Kevin do his whole Bobo act without his mask on, right. which is right. even I scarier. Love that, love that line. And no extra business in Bobo's act. That's right. <laughs> it's classic. Uh, I, I think that it was quoted in, a, in an article recently about clowns and movies. We were rated number three or something like that. <laughs> I, I want to give a shout out to Wheatley and Antonelli, the guys who did the music. They really uh, went on. Oh, well, yeah. Paul Antonelli's went on to be a real big shot. Yeah. And David Wheatley just still lives in the same place down the, the opposite direction from where I used to live. He, we just reconnected. Uh, we saw each other at uh, Trader Joe's. So he, uh, We wanted to, again, to have a, a real now sound, a kind of a, this is it's like cool yeah. that the the montage where Kevin is shooting Joanne uh, or, or uh, no, not Joanne um, Barbara Barbara thank you um, it's funny we we laid down when we we're mixing the film we laid the drums down first and there's that great kick and bass and Paul Bartel comes in and goes I think you should just use the drums don't don't put any other tracks and Zane and I looked at each other I said we 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 spent hours. <laughs> this song we're going to use all the tracks and it was such a great cue and it works really well the slow motion with tracy and Silvana showing up it's... and uh, um but, but those guys really uh you know as a director you can give them themes you can give them kind of feelings you want but man they delivered uh, I, I was so blown away they really another connection paul antonelli was in radio werewolf in mortuary academy so that's how we got to David Wheatley and, and Paul to as the composers and yeah so no, Paul, they, they, Paul Antonelli at all the award shows with Diane Warren yeah yeah he's no. a big 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 time guy that's yeah. so is Mortuary Academy available to stream anywhere or rent or any of that good stuff Oh no, that's one of the sad stories of litigation and who has it and oh it's man, it's never been seen. I show it. Uh, I've shown it a couple times when I have some people over and we have a few drinks and <laughs> watch Mortuary Academy. I'll tell you, it's funny. It's really funny. Lynn's great in it. Yeah, and it's really hilarious and it's way better than a police academy. I mean, who doesn't like necrophilia? So <laughs> It was a great cast. We had so much fun. We laughed and on Jack. the screen. Like we, we were the, the big problem was we just couldn't stop cracking each other up. So it was really, you know, today. Thank you so much for casting me in that role. I think if an investor took that movie on and re-released it, because that is a picture that has never been seen. It is like uh, there's a thing in. Uh, I want to say Prague or somewhere called uh, Shockfest, something like you know about these guys. They uh, they blog and they Shocker Fest, something like that. They uh, they they wanted to show Mortuary Academy, and I gave them. Uh, I sent them my uh, 
I sent them my Blu-ray, my DVD. I think a DVD I have of it. And here's a, they would act out scenes from the movie. They would play the movie and then he would stop it. And then live actors would come out and, and act out parts. And then they go show us some more of the movie. They're, they're totally addicts. They love Mortuary Academy. That is so cool. And I now I want to do that with Out of the Dark. Like, I think <laughs> Mortuary Academy, you can get a DVD. Um, on I think it may be on YouTube. I think I found it on YouTube. You might. Everything I know this is going on a long time, but Michael, I was in a con one year. I, I was there with uh, Drew Barrymore on Gun Crazy, and and uh, or what? And Whoopi came. I was uh, Whoopi came across the lobby of uh, <clears throat> God, the the Martinez or something, and she goes. She waves at me like she knew me because I've served. I made her dinner once for Paul when she was uh, doing uh, I remember that. I remember Color that. Purple, right? Yeah. She came up to me and made this big deal. And I was with a bunch of people from New Line. And she's like, and first she sees me across from me. She goes, you know who I am? Of course I fucking know who you are. You're Whoopi Goldberg. And it was just, she was so complimentary about Mortuary Academy. She thought she saw it in her hotel in London. She just was cracking fucking up. She goes, "That's like the best film of the year." She really went off, and everybody I was with was kind of like, "Wow, how come we don't know this movie?" The, the irony of Mortuary Academy is that my father is a was a funeral director, and I and knew I that. Two, and I have two brothers that were morticians, um, wow. and uh, and then I go. They wanted me to carry on the, the the tradition and I wasn't going to do it uh, but in a way you then uh... <laughs> so I left so I left to go make movies I remember I told my dad I'm going to make movies and he's like that's like me saying I'm going to build a the space shuttle in my backyard we're going to go to Mars he, he said there's no way you're going to make movies Mortuary Academy was a script that was submitted to Paul Bractel I read it and optioned it and then got Paul on board and we got it made. So I was getting paid my $50 a day to help Paul. And then I, cause I didn't listen. I was green as they came. Right. And I, so I optioned this material and I, that was submitted to Paul and then we made it. So it was like, you know, it's I, we don't know the rules of engagement. My, parent, my, my parents, uh, when I was an assistant director and I did movies like uh, The Big Easy and Romancing the Stone and a bunch of other stuff, my parents were always bragging about me. I get my first director shot and it's Mortuary Academy. They didn't say anything. They, <laughs> and then it, when it came out, they go, he didn't learn any of that stuff from us. And, uh, and my, my, my brother, Steve, who is a retired film of uh, a uh, funeral director, he watched it. I've never seen a guy laugh harder because he he knows all the inside, you know, mortuary, the funeral business jokes, and we hit them all on that one. Oh, man, I got to find this movie. I don't. I mean, I got to call in some favors or something. I know, or I will buy it on VHS because I have a VCR. Because uh, I, you, you, you can get a DVD for sure. You can get okay. a DVD. Yeah. Maybe YouTube, like Greg said. Yeah, I'll buy it. Well, it was really nice. We had fun, Aaron. Thank you so much. You're well, welcome. For getting us together. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my Thank goodness! This, like I said, the honor is all on this side of the table. Um, you guys have been so wonderful, and have I was terrified to do this because I mean, when I talked to my podcasting people, they were like, "How many people are you interviewing?" And I was like, seven. And they were like, "Are you high?" <laughs> and like the most we've ever interviewed is three, maybe two. And I was just like, "I know," but it just sort of 
snowballed into this like and then they told two friends and they told two friends and uh you know <laughs> now it's a reunion so i did i spent the whole day with my note cards and making notes and sitting and doing all this stuff because i was just <laughs> was like oh my god i don't really know what i'm gonna do you know it's very different from just me and my other person sitting there talking about, you know, pieces or slaughter high, you know, <laughs> this is like a movie that I have genuine affection and respect for. So <laughs> this will actually be our season two premiere. So in, in July, 4th of July is our, our one year. So, and it'll be our anniversary show. Cause I figured I was like, well, I'm going to take one of my top 10 favorite movies and I'm going to use it. So it's one other thing I want to add real quick that when when the movie came out in L.A., they, the ads in the L.A. Times were uh, this kind of erotic dancer fan behind her and all that. Yeah. It didn't do very good numbers. The next day, the ads had a Bobo mask and a butcher knife. Nice. <laughs> and the numbers just went up. And, and and it's so it's just amazing how uh, how you hit a nerve with certain images. Some of the posters, some of the, I don't know if it's a box cover necessarily, but if you flip the back of it, there's actually a picture of Cameron on the phone <laughs> and it's like, bro, <laughs> like, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's a, it's a funny thing. You know, Quentin Tarantino worked at Cinetel during the time we were doing this. I, I met him after, uh, I went to a thing about the Inglorious Bastards at Musso and Frank's. And, and we went in there for some events. Some publicists got me and uh, my buddy in there. And uh, I'm, uh, so they introduced me to Quentin. I go, hi, Michael Schroeder. He goes, Michael Schroeder, you, you directed Mortuary Academy and Out of the Dark for Cinetel in 1988. And I went, <laughs> what? Wow. Then I told him about Man the Chair and Christopher Plummer. I said, that's the movie you, you should see. But he knew all that stuff because he worked in the foreign sales or some kind of he's the guy that put those ads on the back of those VHS boxes and stuff at Cinetel for like three years. Wow. Oh, a, oh, the last the, the the very last fan question I had, because I because they'll kill me if I don't ask this, is for Cameron. Uh Cameron, there's a scene where you're on the phone and you're <laughs> oh my God, and you're playing with a knife, like a serrated knife, and you inadvertently or maybe on purpose uh poke your nipple and literally looks like you're bleeding is that you or is that somebody else who did that you know that was me and it's still hang on <laughs> no, no it's, it's a movie trick it's called ab blood you put the a part on the skin you put the b on the knife when on they the get knife. together it goes red okay yeah. Cool, because they were like, to. they were convinced that you bled for your art. He, he would <laughs> have. I, I wouldn't <laughs> let him do it. He wanted he to do that. He, he wanted to do it. I wouldn't let him. He did that in the audition, actually. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, my goodness. All right. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. And thank you guys so much for this. Stay manic and stay tuned, my lovelies.